We're going to look at Romans chapter 3 and from verse 21, where Paul writes in, uh, we say last time we were looking at this, that one writer has said of this paragraph that we're about to read that this is the most important single paragraph that has ever been written, someone has said. The most important single paragraph that has ever been written. So that is what we are about to read. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Right in the middle of that passage, at the end of verse 22, Paul makes a statement there. He says, there is no difference. He says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned. There is no difference. As we look around the world, we're obviously aware that there are lots of differences. Differences between people groups, differences between nations. There are different races, different histories, different cultures, different skin colors. Just within one nation, one is also aware there are great differences, uh, different privileges, different social backgrounds, different levels of education, many, many differences in the world. So much so that in our own nation, politicians describe our nation as a broken society. There are real differences, magnified divisions between people. And even then, as you home in to a building like this, a congregation like this, we can all feel very aware of differences. It's astonishing how many people say privately, I'm, I'm the odd one out. I'm the other. I'm different. And probably, if you feel you're the odd one out, everyone else is kind of in an inner circle, and you're not. To your astonishment, that's true of the person next to you, and true of the person next to them, and so on. Because it's we all kind of feel, well, I'm different. And so whatever we say, for example, about Christian experience, the things that God wants to do. You can sit there thinking, but I'm different. God wants to do this for everyone, but I'm different. It is amazing how many people feel like that. If you don't feel like that, let me tell you, you're different. (laughs) We We can all feel I'm the only one. And yet Paul here says, there is no difference. And what he's talking about here are three crucial, vital areas where we're all the same. Yeah, there are many differences, but there are three crucial areas where there is no difference. So he says there is no difference, first 
thing where we're all the same, for all have sinned. This is universally true, true of everyone. There's no differences here. All have sinned. That's something that he's been exploring, developing right from the start of this letter. Well, in chapter 1 and verse 18, he said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. And he then goes on to show that that is true of everyone, godlessness and wickedness. And he comes through to chapter 3 and verse 10, where he says, There's no one righteous, not even one. So, all have sinned. Now, we need to be clear what we're talking about here. Sin is any kind of rebellion against God, any kind of rejection of his authority. It covers then big things, mass murder, genocide, and small things. Little things that we always say, just a white lie. Sin. Sin is any rejection of what God says, any rejection of his authority. And, well, right back at the beginning, we see Adam and Eve, the first couple that God had created. They are placed in a beautiful setting where everything is good, and they are commanded by God to enjoy everything. That's how good God is, a good environment. He says he commands them, enjoy it all. He said, except for one tree. don't know how many trees there were with fruit that they were commanded to enjoy. There is one fruit, tree that they're not to take. And what happened, as we know, they took one piece of fruit. Traditionally, people say it was an apple. The Bible certainly doesn't say that. It could have been anything. But they took one piece of fruit. We would say, that is so trivial. That is such a minor thing to take one, imagine it was an apple tree laden with fruit. They take one apple. Oh, come on. That is so trivial. No, because it displayed an attitude. That was what was important about it. It displays an attitude of God has said don't, and I think I know better. It's a rejection of God's authority. Sin involves small things, big things, but it's a state of mind. It's an attitude of rejecting God and saying, I'll do it my way. And it says there, all have sinned. All of us have that basic attitude of rejecting God and thinking that we know best. We know what the Bible says, but... But what it actually says there, well, it could be translated more accurately, slightly differently. It could be translated, all sinned. There's no difference for all sinned. In other words, not that all have sinned, although that is true, but more specifically, that all sinned. Well, what does that mean? If it were translated like that, what would it be, be meaning? Well, in chapter 5, Paul uses a similar expression. Chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. And then he goes on. In fact, it's one of those rare places where Paul loses the thread of what he's saying because he begins a sentence there in chapter 5 verse 12 and loses his way totally. Um, and has to start again in verse 18 of that chapter 
in several years' time. When we get to chapter 5, we'll look at that more closely. But here, in verse 12, he says, Sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, because all sinned. When the one man, Adam, the human race at that time consisted of two people, Adam and Eve. God created two people. That then is the human race. There are animals and there are humans, Adam and Eve. That is humanity. One man, Adam, he's the head, he's created as head of this partnership. He sinned. When Adam sinned, humanity sinned. Because that's humanity. That's the human race. So all sinned when Adam sinned. We all come from him. He's the head of the race. What he did involves all of us. You say, well, that's strange. I wasn't there in the Garden of Eden. I didn't do that. It's not fair. Well, the same thing works through today. The head of a nation, in our case, a prime minister, can commit a nation, for example, to a war. And so when we got involved in the Iraq war, there were those who protested with banners, not in my name. Well, yes, it was in your name. When the head of the race, when the head of the nation takes a nation that way, we're all involved. Well, we are a nation in Adam. When Adam went into sin, we sinned. We are involved in that. We were all present in Adam. There's no difference. No difference. There is no human being not involved in that sin. So Paul is saying here, no difference For all sinned. The second area of similarity where we're all the same, he goes on to say, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He moves from something that happened in the past to something that is the current position. All sinned and, as it were now, are falling short of the glory of God. That also is something that is true for everyone. It's present tense. It's speaking about everyday experience, everyday experience of everyone. We all continue to sin. And more specifically, he puts it, fall short of God's glory. Now, what does that mean? To fall short of God's glory. It's obviously about missing the mark. Of something being there and we miss it, what's it talking about? Well, back in the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, there's maybe a clue to something that Paul intends here. Isaiah 43, verse 7, God refers to everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created us for his glory. He creates the world. He creates vegetable life. He creates animal life. And then the pinnacle of his creation, he creates humankind. Created to bring glory to him. And Paul says we're falling short of the glory of God. We're created to bring glory to God, but look at us. Look back at how God created us in Genesis chapter 1. 
Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. This is God speaking, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that moved move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Several references. There are three references to the image of God. Let us make man in our image. So he made him in his image, in the image of God. He is stressing the fact that We are made to image God in God's creation. God created humanity in his own image, in his likeness, whatever that means. Made in God's image, in his likeness, to rule his creation on his behalf. The pinnacle of creation. God saw what he had made. And it was very good. Fashioned by God's hand to reflect him, bring glory to him, and created with his glory, imaging him in his likeness. That's man. The image of God, the likeness of God, and ruling to represent God. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 7, a a controversial passage. Again, we're not going to get into what it's talking about there, but just lift a verse right out of it conveniently because it's talking about head coverings and women to have their head covered. Anyway, we won't get into all of that, but what we will look at is verse 7. It says, A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image of, and glory of God. The image and glory of God. Just that phrase. Let's leave the rest for another time after I've retired. (laughs) Dan or Mark can explain. Anyway. The image and glory of God. Made in God's image, His glory. And you see... God, as it were, creating everything. He's put the stars in in space. The planets are there. He's created the oceans. He's created the mountain ranges. He's spoken life into it all. The fish in the sea, the animals, and then vegetable life. It's all there. And God sees it all. The great diversity of his wonderful, magnificent creation. And then, having spoken everything into existence, let there be, let there be, and there was, then He starts fashioning. He makes out of the clay humankind. Makes him, makes man in his own image, in his own likeness. The glory of God in humanity. Intended to display God's glory. Intended to bring glory to him. Having dignity, beauty. But Paul says... We're falling short of God's glory. Because look at humanity today. Look at the reports in the press, the despair, really, of governments, government departments. What to do about binge drinking, drunkenness in city centers? What to do about the escalating rate of teenage pregnancies? 
What to do about family breakdown? What to do about violence, vandalism? What to do about terrorism? What to do about just injustice, pollution, climate change, all of this made to reflect God's glory, to have dignity. And then you see humanity today. See what it's like. Fear, terrorism, threats. What what have we done? Yet we're falling short of God's glory. God is magnificent in glory. We're covered in shame. All sinned and are falling short of God's glory. Man intended to be the pinnacle of creation. Well, soon after Adam and Eve sinned, the, the irony, God clothes them in animal skins. They were meant to rule over animal creation. They end up disguised as animals. Living on that level, really. What have we done? We've sinned. There is no difference. One commentator on this passage in the 19th century, a commentator said, you can be in the bottom of a mine or on the crest of an alp, but both would be equally unable to touch the stars. That's us. Some are worse than others, but the glory of God, out of reach, out of reach, totally beyond our reach, all sinned and are falling short of God's glory. There is no difference. But the third area of no difference, all sinned and are falling short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. These verses, verses 22 through to 24, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference, for all have sinned and are falling short of God's glory and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. These verses are crowded with absolutely massive themes. Words that, well, we could home in on any word and preach forever on them. Words that all deserve attention. Words like righteousness, faith, justified, freely, grace, redemption, massive words that all are thrilling when you get into them and see what they're all about. But what what we're looking at here is where Paul is saying there's no difference. He's talking about things that are true without distinction. All sin. That's true of everyone. Everyone is in Adam. We're all missing the mark with regards to God's glory. That is true without distinction. And now he speaks of something else that has no distinctions, justified freely by his grace. He speaks about a righteousness from God. A righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What does it mean, righteousness from God? Righteousness from God is more than forgiveness. When we think of what Jesus has done, we think of his death on the cross, his resurrection, and we say that was so that we could be, should be forgiven. That is true. 
Of course it's true. Jesus died so that we should be forgiven. But what it's talking about here is something much greater than forgiveness. How can we explain this? God could, if God were forgiving us, he would say to us, I no longer have anything against you. When you forgive someone, you no longer hold anything against them. So when God forgives, he says, I no longer have anything against you. This is not talking about that. This is God saying, as it were, you no longer have anything that offends me. He's not, when we're forgiven, God says, nothing against you. But righteousness from God means there is nothing about us now that offends God. God has changed our status. God has changed our position totally. Righteousness from God. Righteousness, in other words, right standing with God, holiness, all that we couldn't possibly achieve because all sinned and all are falling short of God's glory. Now, the gospel, this good news, this message that Paul is so enthusiastic about is about God giving us something whereby there's no longer anything in us that offends him. Righteousness from God through faith. This righteousness from God comes through faith. Through means it, this is the way that righteousness comes to us. It's not the cause of righteousness. In other words, we're not made righteous because actually there's something basically good about us. We've got faith. No, faith is the means by which it comes, not the cause of it. Again, you might say, what, what do you mean? A bad example, imagine someone lobbed a brick through the window, right? Just where Patrick is right now, hits him on the head. A brick comes through the window. What's the cause of that? The window? No. The cause is that someone threw it. The window is the means by which it came. So the problem, as it were in this case, is not windows, it's people throwing bricks. Faith is the means by which righteousness, it's not the cause of righteousness. Faith is, if you like, the window. Righteousness comes from God. The the, the cause, the, the reason for righteousness coming is God, not our faith. Faith is simply the channel through which it comes. Because Paul is trying to stress, we can't contribute anything into this. There's nothing good about us. We don't have to come up with anything. It is simply faith. Because the traditional way of viewing righteousness is you try to make yourself holy. We don't have to sort of try and imitate Jesus. Copy him. He didn't come to just be a model. So if we do everything that Jesus did, if we maybe pray all night, if we have no home, no possessions, we wander homeless, praying a lot, will that somehow please God? No, because we've sinned. And we're falling short of God's glory. Righteousness is simply received. 
It's righteousness through faith. Through faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. The the sheer merit of Jesus' perfect life. We believe that. We believe that His perfect life was offered to God in death, in our place, and simply by believing that, righteousness is given to us. No payment could ever achieve it. No penance could ever achieve it. Righteousness freely given. Now, a righteousness from God comes through faith to all who believe. No distinctions. All who believe made righteous. One of the ways in which Christians often feel different. I'm the odd one out. I'm different. One of the ways that they cause them to feel that is often just basic guilt. I'm not good enough. This is saying, no, righteousness is given. Righteousness is given. It's like, like something that covers you so that God looks at you and he sees what pleases it. There's nothing about us that offends him. There's no difference. If you're in Christ, there is nothing about your life that offends God. Righteousness is given to you. You might say, but surely we've got to work at it. No, it's through faith to all who believe. It's an astonishing, radical message. That's why Paul loves it. That's why he wants to preach it everywhere. Because it is unlike any other religion. It is unlike any other solution to man's problems. It is something that God has done simply because we cannot come up with a solution. We cannot solve our own problems. There is no way that we could ever mask our sin and somehow please God. Our sin is very real. Where in Adam we sinned, we're falling short of God's glory, but there's righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So, Verse 24, we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. What a verse. Justified. Declared just by God. Acquitted. Not guilty. We're free. Justified. We know our past. Justified. The Bible tells us of some of the the people that Jesus associated with. People who were outcasts. People who were cheats, collaborators with the enemy. People that respectable people looked down on as the low life, but justified freely. Paul himself, who is preaching this message, writing this, or dictating it. A man who had savagely persecuted people who believed in Jesus, who had hounded people to their deaths, a cruel man through whom any number of people had their lives terrorized and spoiled. Could he ever find peace with God? Justified freely. Look down through the pages of history. John Newton, the slave trader, read of some of the vile things that man was involved in. Justified freely. 
wrote the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's a radical message. Righteousness from God simply by believing. Simply by believing. I believe in Jesus. I believe my sin is dealt with by his cruel death on my behalf. I believe it. That simple? That simple. That's why there are no distinctions. You don't have to be highly intelligent. You don't have to be specially good. No distinctions. There is no difference. One way fits all. Justified freely could be translated as a gift. No price freely given by his grace. The sheer generosity of an amazing God. Our sin, the complicated mess that we make of our lives, the traits that we've inherited from our parents and grandparents, those things that are basic to us, those instinctive ways that we react badly, the whole thing justified freely by His grace. All covered a clean sheet given as a gift. There's no difference. Given freely, justified freely by his grace. But you know the expression, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, actually, there's no such thing as free salvation. Justified freely, but what a cost. Jesus dying in our place. He took the cost. Free to us. But what a cost. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption speaks about cost. Redemption speaks about a price being paid. God didn't merely forgive, you see. God didn't merely say, I no longer have anything against you. There's an issue of sin. There's an issue of sin that offends God. The, the whole thing starts back in chapter 1. We've already read the words, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. God is glorious. We've already been saying that. And part of his glory, which we can't begin to comprehend, is his utter hatred of sin. His total, radiant, terrifying holiness. That's God. That's his glory. We couldn't, any of us, as we are, bear to get a glimpse of the glory of God as it is. When Moses said, show me your glory, God hid him in a cave and then passed by and Moses kind of saw the tail end. That's as much as he could cope with. When Isaiah sees the, the, the train of God, as it were, just the end of his robe in the temple, he said, oh, I'm a wretched man, I'm undone. The glory of God is terrifying. We couldn't bear to see it. Part of that glory is his hatred of sin. And we've sinned. Can't just be dismissed. Can't just be ignored. And God, in the person of his Son, became one of us, like us, in every way, except without sin. And his perfect life, offered to God in death on our behalf. A cruel death, 
The Bible draws a veil over the cruelty of, his, of the, the physical pain that he went through. And if the Bible chooses to do that, that's the best way to treat it. Because the reality of what he suffered was not the agony of crucifixion, although that doesn't bear thinking about, but God's anger against sin. My God, my God, he cries, why have you forsaken me? God's holy anger against sin descends on Jesus. The spotless one, the one who's never sinned, suddenly punished by God's fierce anger against things we've done. In our place, suffering, justified freely. Yeah, but there's a cost, redemption. Redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He paid the price. Gladly. Not, he's a victim, but a willing victim. He loved you. He loved me. He gave himself for us to buy us out of our position in sin, falling short of God's glory, out of our condition, so that we can live in a different position where God no longer sees anything in us that offends him. We're his children. Where we can develop a whole new condition. No longer missing the mark. We'll actually change from one degree of glory to another, Paul says it. Getting to be like Jesus because this Jesus is alive. He's given us his spirit. Everything changes. And again, we've got to get hold of it. There's no difference. No difference. There are not various classes of Christian. There are not different ranks of proximity to God or relationship with God. Three areas of no difference. All sinned, all fall short of God's glory, and all can be justified freely. Righteousness from God. That's the truth of course, it's not quite that straightforward because there's a devil around who's a liar and an accuser. And he loves to just whisper lies or sometimes shout lies into your conscience to say, but not you. You're different. You can't be forgiven. You're not in that place. Yeah, you're a Christian, you will make it to heaven, but he's a liar, an absolute liar. The truth is, Paul says it, there is no difference. All sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Just as surely as all sinned, so surely all can be saved. How? Through faith. That's the means. We simply believe. It's not, but have I believed enough? <laughs> it's just the window through which it comes. We haven't got to enlarge the window or your window. It's just faith. I believe in Jesus. That's enough. The greatest sinner can say, I believe. And they're justified. Righteousness from God. The youngest child can say, I believe. And they're justified. It's not super intelligence. It's, not, it's just faith. 
There is no difference. We all have the same need. We all can come by the same road. There's one message that fits all because we're all in the same position and there is one outcome for all who believe. A new standing with God. Righteousness from God. So we're boldly in his presence, knowing he loves us, knowing he's our father. He intends good for us. There's no difference. You've just got to believe it.